This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, we discuss issues of God and culture, and my guest today is Caleb Kaltenbach, who has an interesting life story. Caleb, we're really pleased you could be with us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. And uh, we're just going to let Caleb kind of walk through and unveil the story and unveil the topic as we as we move along. So, Caleb, uh, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, your background. Uh, what are you doing currently? I am the lead pastor at Discovery Church out in uh, Simi Valley, California, which is in the, you know, next to northern L.A. County. We're in Ventura County, just right on the edge. Uh, been here for a little over a year. Before that, I was in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas, pastoring a church for three and a half years. And before that, I was in the Los Angeles area for 11 years. And you did your training, your theological training where? I did my master's degree at Talbot School of Theology. And I am about two or three classes away from my doctor of ministry at DPS. Very good. Okay. Well, so, um, and you've written a book recently, correct? Or you've got a manuscript in place. Is that right? Yeah, I have a manuscript in place, and I'm learning from my editor how much I actually need to change. And <laughs> quite ready for that. But, yeah, uh, that's uh, the story uh, of a first book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you know what? I, I have a great editor. He's he's a phenomenal editor. He's very, very kind and uh, have submitted the rough draft. It's supposed to be uh, in, I guess, pre-production by March 1st, ready for release fall 2015. Okay. And uh, we've probably kept people uh, the mystery under wraps long enough. Give us the title of the book and tell us what the topic is. The working title, and it may remain the title, is called No Matter What. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the premise of the book is really about my story. So maybe I should just begin talking about my background. Okay, okay? go for it. Yeah. So uh, my parents got married. Both of my parents were professors. My dad taught philosophy, law, and rhetoric at the University of Missouri-Columbia and at Stevens College, and my mom taught English literature at the University of Missouri-Columbia. When I was two years old, my parents got a divorce, and both of them uh, entered the gay and lesbian lifestyle, the LGBT community at that time. Um, my mom found a partner who is a, a, just got her PhD in psychology, and she and her partner moved to Kansas City, where my mom got a job at UMKC, and my mother's partner, Vera, started uh, working as a psychologist, and my dad was teaching full-time at Stevens College. And so he was more in the closet, but my mom obviously had a partner. Um, they were very, very active in the lifestyle. Um, when I grew up, I was going to gay bars and clubs and weddings, and I marched in gay pride parades. Uh, I, I have this memory, one of the earliest memories I have was when my mom had me march in a gay pride parade with her. And we were walking down the street, and at the end of the street, there were all these Christians who were holding up signs saying, God hates you, God can't stand you, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you, and they were spraying urine and water on everybody. 
And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? And she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate people in our community. They don't like people that are different from them. And uh, I had another friend who died from AIDS. His name was Lewis. And I remember he was my mom's friend going in to visit him uh, a few days before he died. And uh, his family, who were Christians, were at the other end of the hospital bed, uh, really against the wall, not even wanting to have anything to do with him, trying to stay away from him because they didn't want to catch anything. And I said, Mom, why are, you act- well, why are they acting like this? And she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate people in our community. They don't like people that are different. And so I grew up with this mentality that, you know, Christians are the bad guys, that they're awful, that they're evil, that... You know, they're basically a club, a country club that you can't get into. And so, I mean, my parents, you know, pretty intelligent people. So I decided to, when I was in high school, to join this Bible study. To I, I was going to go pretend to be a Christian. I was going to be a ninja Christian. And uh, I was going to show up and I was going to learn how to disprove the Bible. But the more and more that I went, the more and more I found that uh, the Jesus in the pages of Scripture don't really reflect that kind of an attitude. Um, that he definitely had his mantle of truth, but he was always clothed truth with grace, and the two were always partnered, and they didn't separate him. And um, before I knew it, I gave my life to the Lord. A week later, um, I went forward at a youth conference, and uh, uh, this church I started attending took me to a youth conference. I went forward, gave my life to the ministry. I told my parents, and I was disowned for a little bit. My mom didn't want to have anything to do with me. Uh, spending a lot of nights away from home with my dad, uh, you know, pretty much. It was, it was a very difficult time in my life. Now, how old were you when this was going on? I was in high school when I accepted the Lord. Okay. You know, I had a lot more hair then. <laughs> uh, that sense has gone away. So I ended up going to Bible college, uh, graduated from there, came out to California for 11 years. And the amazing thing that happened, uh, Dr. Bach, was you know, we, we moved to Texas, and I was looking forward to it. Texas is a great state. I'm a little partial to California, but that's just me. Yeah. And when I was in Texas, um, I was at a church, and uh, there was a lot of success at this church. But one of the most interesting things was that both my parents moved there separately. My mother's partner had since died, and both my parents had moved there separately to be closer to our family. And they said, we want to start attending your church. And I said, hi, church. Really? Yeah, we want to start going. Okay. And so they started coming. And my church was nicer to them than I was. Hmm. And they kept on going. And two weeks before we left to move back out here, they both gave their lives to the Lord. Now, and, this uh, would have been how many years later from your the time of your conversion? This was in the summer of 2013, and I accepted Christ in the summer of 1994. Okay. So almost 20, we're almost 20 years down the road. 18, 20 years down the road. Okay. Um, my mom doesn't get out to go to church very much. When my dad goes to church, he goes to Chuck Swindoll's church mm-hmm. out of all places. And my mom listens to Chuck Swindoll, and uh, I think she goes to a Bible study. She's in a re- retirement home in the – well, an independent living retirement home in the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, so, you know, I just – I think about – God and His plan and everything that happened, and you know, you just see this whole story wrapped in grace and truth. So that's what the book is about. Hmm. The book is about, you know, with, with a tough issue like um, the LGBT community, how do you hold on to the truth of God's word but still 
act loving and gracious and how do you partner the two, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the difficult thing, living in the tension of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's that's a nice pricey of, of kind of where we're going to be. And let, let's talk our way uh, through this, um, and I want to do it in stages. So I want to talk about, you know, what it was like to grow up as a, a child in the midst of this environment, and then I would like to talk about um, your, your opening up to the hearing of the gospel. And then I like to talk about the period right after when you told your parents that this was going on and what that period was like, and then the period leading up to their own uh, to their own engagement with the church. So kind of in four parts, if we can think about it that way. So let's start off here. <clears throat> what was it like growing up? Well, let me let me let me tell the viewers this. Uh, uh, Caleb was in a class that I taught years ago at Talbot Seminary, adjuncted Talbot, and uh, I remember. Uh, going out to lunch with him during that time, and him telling me his story about where he had, how he'd come to the Lord. And to be honest, at the time when I heard it, this shows you how much things have changed. Uh, at the time when I heard it, it was the first story of that type I had ever heard. And and not only that, it was it was kind of my wake up call to this entire conversation uh, that now is so prevalent in, in the church, and churches are wrestling with it literally not just nationwide but globally. And so, uh, so, so this is a this is nice to kind of put some uh, detail on this. So let's talk. And I remember you starting off telling me you grew up in a in a home where this was the environment. So, so what what exactly was that like, and what kind of uh, what, what kind of identity issues, if any, did that raise for you when you were growing up? You know, my, my mother and her partner, Vera, were both very politically active. My mom and Vera were both academics. Um, you know, both had been professors at some point. My mom was working in grant writing. My uh, Vera was a psychologist. And so they were very, very involved politically. Um, they were on the board of directors for the Kansas City chapter of GLAD, hmm. Gay and Lesbian Awareness Against Discrimination. That was back in the 1980s. Um, they were uh, attended uh, a Quaker house for a while uh, that was primarily filled with people from the LGBT community. Um, then they switched over to uh, uh, Wicca for a while, and they had a coven with some of their friends. And so my upbringing... <laughs> Dr. Bach was really all over the place. And I you don't wouldn't know call it a Christian home in the way no. we normally think about it. Yeah, yeah. Post, anti, whatever you want to put on, whatever you want to put in front of Christian, that's what it was, you know, because it definitely wasn't Christian. Um, so it, it was an environment, as I said, that was very political. Um, you know, they worked on Clinton's first campaign. Uh, they worked on Dukakis's campaign. They worked on everything they could because they saw Christians at the, as the enemy. They saw Republicans as the enemy, people that wanted to take their rights away or not wanted them to have any rights. And so that's what I was taught to believe. I was taught to believe that Christians were the enemy. Christians didn't like them. Uh, and, and there was a lot of anger that my mom and, and her partner had. Now, this is not true of everybody that is in the LGBT community, but there were things that happened to my mom and Vera to where I could see where they would be so angry at men and, and make the choices that they made. Hmm. As far as my own identity, I don't know. I've just always liked girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, I even found one to marry me, so that's yeah. good. But, you know, my, my mom always 
uh, talk to me about, well, you know, if you're, if you're attracted to men, that's okay. Let's say I'm not. Well, you know, if, if you are, it's okay. I'm not. And so I kind of almost felt like, you know, she kept on hoping and wondering if I would be. But, you know, I just, I never had that in me. I was never tempted with that once, um, you know, and who knows. With both parents, you would think that I would be, but I wasn't mm-hmm. whatsoever. So it, it was definitely, it was very, it was uh, an interesting upbringing. But to me, Dr. Bach, I mean, I it was normal. It's just what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I grew up with my mom and her partner going to rallies. Um, you know, I knew that um, that song that they sing in nightclubs, We Are Family, I Got All My Sisters With Me. That had a whole different meaning for me when I was huh. growing up because I remember going to uh, bars and clubs with my mom when I was four, five, six, and seven. And I'm like, don't most kids do this? And then when I got to elementary school and I got invited for birthday parties and I said, wow, they have a mom and a dad and I have two moms and one dad and kids would always want to come over to my house. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Because I knew at that point there was something different hmm. about me and about how I was being raised. Um, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not slamming my mom or her partner at all. I'm just saying, um, at least in the eighties, it wasn't the norm. Mm-hmm. What's so now, now I take it from the way you're describing this. Obviously you were living with your mom during this time after the divorce. Is that right? I went back and forth between the two hmm. a lot, um, spent a lot of time with my dad, but also spent a lot of time with my mom. So honestly, I was back and forth a lot. Now, do, were there any relatives around from either of their families, uncles and aunts and that kind of thing, uh, or, or did they end up be, uh, being pretty isolated? Uh, my dad was very isolated. Um, my mom and her partner, they're all from or I mean, my mother's partner is from Wisconsin. My mom and dad are from Kansas. All their families in Kansas. My dad's family is all the way out in western Kansas, so they're kind of isolated. Uh, my mom's family was more around. Mm-hmm. My mom's mom, I knew she was a Christian, and she was always praying for me. Uh, my mom's aunt was a Christian. Uh, I knew my cousins. Uh, her brother, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, um, but there were people around me that. Were, were praying for me on a consistent basis. Now, did uh, they communicate to you otherwise in, in, at all during that time about the context you were living in? No. My mom's mom, I could tell she didn't approve of it. Her name was Bernice. Um, I could tell she didn't approve of it. And when she would come over to visit, she'd always tell me stories about Jesus or tell me stories about God. Or, you know, she'd bring me, you know, back in those days when we had VHS, right? Mm-hmm. She'd always bring me videos uh, like, Chronicles of Narnia cartoon or something like that. Said, I want you to watch this. And, and, you know, I was a brat. I mean, I would just imitate my parents and make fun of Jesus. And I'd see my grandma praying and I'd, you know, walk by and say, nobody's listening and just make little comments like that. And I'd think back. And if I could, I'd go back and kick myself in the rear end for doing all that. But, you know, it was just an example of how I was a reflection of the attitude of my mom and her partner and, and even of my dad. Mm-hmm. Even though my dad. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma 
Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Now, how did you how did you address Vera in particular? I mean, how did how and how did you is is the reference you're saying my mom's partner is that kind of the way you described it and talked about it and thought about it? Yeah, we were never really that close. Uh, her family was in Wisconsin. They would cut her family. She had uh, a son and a grown son with, and he had kids, and she had a daughter. They would come and visit. Uh, I was closer with them than I was with Vera. Vera was very cold. I always felt like, even from a, as a young kid, I felt like I was competing with Vera. Um, it was very difficult living with her. Hmm. Um, she just really had an, a big issue. She had a big emotional problems, and you could see it. Um, my mother and Vera were always very, very... Uh, I think offended because I would never refer to Vera as a mom. That's actually the next question I was going to ask, so that's great. Keep going. I, I would never refer to her as mom. I would always refer to her as Vera. And I remember several times my mom would say, why don't you ever refer to Vera as your mom? I'm like, because she's not my mom. You know, I don't feel close to her. You know, she hardly ever hugs me. We're not in the same room. And when we're in the same room, there's tension. She's not my mom. To, to mention the fact that she's not my mother. And uh, I think that was always a, a source of, of hardship for my mother and for Vera. And uh, my mother is a very codependent personality. Um, love her to death, but you know she really uh, was codependent on Vera. And I think somewhat Vera and my mom, because my mom loved to have somebody to support her. And I think Vera loved to be a rescuer. Hmm. And so they really were codependent on each other. And so their relationship was much stronger than my relationship with my mom or my relationship with Vera, definitely. So, and, and what about on your dad's side? Well, real quick, I'll tell you this, and you may want to hear this later on, or you may not want to hear it now, I don't know. But, you know, Vera died uh, the, the year after I got married, and I flew back to share the gospel with her, and that was an interesting exchange. So I don't know if you want to get to that later on or well we can you, well let's go ahead and pursue that now. Go ahead and talk talk about what that it was like. <clears throat> so I made a lot of mistakes mm -hmm. when I started witnessing to my mom and my dad. Um, my dad was very much in the closet. I didn't find out about his lifestyle until um, I was uh, in college later on. I never found out about it. I kind of suspected it but I was never sure. Um, you know, he had other friends, and so I really didn't know what to do about that. Um, but uh, Vera, you know, I had made so many mistakes with her and my mom and my dad when I first became a Christian. Uh, and, and being a high schooler, I didn't know much about the Bible. I'd never really studied. I'd never taken an interpretation class, hermeneutics, whatever you want to call it. I had never done any of that. And so I would sit down and I would say, okay, this is what the Bible says, and you need to obey it. And then they would pull out all the, you know, well, the Bible says that big dragon's going to come out, you know, in Revelation out of the sea. Do you believe that? Being a high schooler, I didn't know. I'm like, well, sure, if the Bible says that, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that there would be a big red set of head, literal dragon come out of the sea. And so she, you know, I, I, they trapped me all the time. And so I made so many mistakes. I was so worried about straightening out their behavior that I kind of, overlooked the whole fact that I was trying to 
win them to Christ. I was trying to share the gospel with them. And, and so my mother's partner got sick. She got cancer, and she refused treatment. So they set up a hospice room in my mom and Vera's dining room, and that kind of turned into a makeshift hospital bed. And so my mom called me in February 2005 and said, if you want to see Vera, you need to come back quick. And so I, I got a ticket, and I flew out there. And when I was on the plane, I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm coming out here. If you give me the opportunity to share the gospel with her one last time, I'm going to do it in the right way. And uh, I'm not going to push my way through. And just give me that opportunity. I'm not going to force it. So I was there about four or five days. And all the days, nothing ever happened. She was in and out of sleep. Her family was there. Just no opportunity came. And then the night before I left to go back to California, I was sitting with, uh, with her, sitting next to her bedside. And she opened up her eyes and she looked at me and she said, Caleb, what do you think is on the other side? I mean, it's a perfect opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And I said, mm-hmm. Jesus is on the other side. And I said, if you, if you accept him now, if you, if you trust him and submit your life and, and make him the Lord and Savior of your life, then guess what? He'll, he'll accept you. You don't need to do anything. You, you'll, you'll be with him in paradise, just like the thief on the cross. And I'm just imploring her. And uh, she looked at me and she said, no. She said, you want to know what I think about people like you and people that believe in Jesus? And I said, I don't, I don't know. Do I? She said, I think you're weak. And I think you use Jesus as a crutch. And I said, well, Vera, you must be halfway to salvation because he's not my crutch. He's my wheelbarrow. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even in the passenger seat. I am in uh, the trunk. And, 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 I'm, and, and he's living my life for me. Yes, I am weak. And that's the whole reason why I need to be saved. And unless something happened, um, she went to a crisis eternity. That had a very profound effect on me. Hmm. And taking serious this issue in our culture um, and, 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 not a, and, and the LGBT issue, definitely, but the issue of how Christians and the LGBT community interact with each other. And I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about your father's side of the equation. Um, uh, how, what was uh, you said? You really didn't know about what his lifestyle was. So I, I take it you just saw him as a divorced dad. Yeah, I saw him as a divorced dad. Uh, he had a lot of anger, mm-hmm. uh, and probably rightly so, about the divorce and what happened. Um, he's a hardworking professor, and as most hardworking professors, didn't make a lot of money as a professor. Uh, but impacted a lot of students. Uh, very, very sharp person. Um, educated me a lot in history and literature and so on and so forth. Um, never dated. I always thought that was awkward. Never had any interest in that whatsoever. But hung around some different guys a lot. And You know, as I got older, I kind of suspected it, but I never really believed it until later on uh, in Bible college. I, I saw it and, you know, proof one day and I just was I was blown away and I was just kind of thinking Lord really both parents really really God really and uh, it, it was a new experience for me because my dad and I uh, you know we, we had a good relationship but he was very very stern you know uh, he was loving I never doubted that either one of my parents loved me especially my dad I, I know that he loved me a lot but um, he was where some parents want their kids to excel in basketball and football, right? Especially in Texas. My dad wanted me to excel in 4.0s and 4.1s and 4.2s. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's talk about your your transition. So you come out of this environment. You can't say that you were exactly predisposed to welcome the thought of becoming a Christian. So, uh, but you decided to be what did you say a ninja Christian? I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what garb comes with that. But anyway, um, uh, so so talk about that. What what was why was the desire to undercut the faith? Uh, a reflection you think of of your background and what you'd heard about Christianity, and kind of a way to get it, get them back. I look at that, Doctor Bach, and I think I was emotionally hurt from what I had seen a lot of evangelical Christians uh, do to my mother and to people in my in in my mom's community. I think I was hurt by that. I think that a lot of my mom and her partner Vera and my dad's. Uh, political aspect of things and and outlook on life kind of rubbed off on me. They're very much people who want to be part of a cause, who want to be part of a movement, who wanted justice, right? I mean, that was huge for my parents, and so I saw this as an opportunity where I can have that justice, and I can let people know how wrong they are, and I can let these Christians know about how much they're hurting people. And so when I went to this Bible study, I I was invited by this one guy named Jeff to this Bible study over and over and over again, and I always said, no, 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 no. I want nothing to do with it, nothing whatsoever. And so finally I said yes, because I saw it as an opportunity to learn. So I didn't have a Bible. And so I grabbed this old, revised, standard version of the Bible off my dad's shelf. I mean, it was probably old enough where Paul wrote in it, and it still was dusty, <laughs> and it, it smelled funny, and and uh, took it with me, and uh, it was really weird. We we went into the, the into the house, and uh, the the Bible study was downstairs in the basement. So we went down there, and we all sat around, and we started and you know praying and. Uh, when my dad did take me to church, he took me to an Anglican Ep- Episcopal church, and so I was always used to reading the prayers, and we didn't go that often. Uh, even though I was an altar boy, we didn't go that often. And so I'm, I'm just, you know, thinking, wow, you're just praying on your own? That's strange. I've never seen that before. And uh, then they have us all turn to 1 Corinthians 9 and uh, read these, like, really nice words that the Apostle Paul read. Well, everybody else is in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 and I'm in 1 Chronicles 9. And they get to me and all these nice verses about Paul, and then I read something like, and he will strike them down with the sword and there will be blood. And they all look at me like I have lobsters crawling out of my ears. And they said, Caleb, where are you? And I said, I'm in First Chronicles 9. They're like, oh, you're in the Old Testament. I said, old. So I guess there's a new one. There's an old one. Because I, I really had no clue. I mean, it, it's so funny with these parents who are professors and intellectuals and academics, um, really didn't know anything about Christianity, and yet I was so uh, uh, insistent on attacking it, and I didn't even know anything about it. And so I walked out of that Bible study extremely embarrassed, just thinking to myself, I'm a complete moron. You know, I, how could I not even know that? But I kept on going back and back and back because I just said, I'm not going to let these Christians get me down. And I really started falling in love with the person of Jesus. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I felt convicted. Whereas I went to go convict somebody else's lifestyle, Jesus was slowly undermining and changing my worldview. And in a sense, ruining my life, in a good way, mm-hmm. ruining my life. Hmm. So, so, and, and so you, you come to the Lord, and I take it that you're – concern about how Christians treat people in your parents' community is still something that you are concerned about. Is that is that fair to say? 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm still definitely concerned about that. Um, you know, and especially in California, there's definitely an audience for that. There's mm-hmm. definitely a huge climate out here where there's a lot of tension surrounding the LGBT issue and all, all the different issues surrounded uh, with this community and, and things like uh, same-sex relationships and marriage and benefits and insurance and, you know, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, uh, e- even today, I mean, in Southern California, there is still a Bible Belt in Southern California. A lot of people don't know that, but there's still a Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's uh, let's press on here. So you so you come to the Lord, you uh, accept Jesus as your Savior, you become a Christian, a Christ follower, however you want to describe it, and you tell your parents. And the reaction you said initially was they disowned you. So, what was that like? It was difficult. It was difficult to hear my dad say something like. Uh, when you got baptized, because I had been baptized as an infant, but when I got baptized, I was told I spit in God's eye, hmm. spit in the eye of God. And uh, my mom called me one of them, which is funny because Christians had always called her one of them, and now she was using that to, that term to apply to that phrase to apply to me, one of them. Hmm. Um, what, what really made it difficult was a week later when I gave my life to the ministry. Hmm. And I said, hey, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to MU, I'm not going to go to KU in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm going to go to uh, a Bible college, and I'm going to train to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, my mom told me she wasn't going to pay for it. My mom said, I'm not going to help you. And I didn't go see my mom for a while. My dad told me that I was choosing, you know, this over him. I was going against his wishes, but I felt like I needed to. And, you know, he said, in a way, you're disowning me. And that really hurt. Hmm. And uh, there were nights when my dad didn't care if I came home or not. So I spent a lot of nights over at uh, friends' houses. I uh, had an opportunity from a campus pastor at the University of Missouri-Columbia to come live with his family. Um, I turned him down on it because I, I felt like somehow maybe God wanted my parents to be my mission field, in a sense. So um, spent a lot of time at my friends' houses and didn't have a, a very active social life at first, but whenever I got home from school, I, you know, I saved up my money and I bought this Bible, um, the, one of the original NIV study Bibles, if you remember back in the 90s, the sure. original. Mm-hmm. And uh, just any chance I got, I, I sat down and I read it. And then I bought a life application Bible and I read that. And I read all the different character sketches. And I just spent hours and hours during the weeks just learning as much as I could uh, about God's Word and about what it was all about. Um, it had such a huge impacting effect on me. So um, the the issue with my parents and their reaction was definitely negative, but their reaction afforded me a lot of time uh, in a weird way to say to learn more about the Bible. I know that sounds weird, but... So you, you know, so you were engaging them, and I take it eventually you continued to kind of relate to them, but it was awkward. Yeah, it was very awkward. I mean... And, and some people do this with family members, but, you know, honestly, we couldn't talk about philosophy, politics, or religion. Hmm. We talked about the air. We talked about the Kansas City Chiefs, of which I'm still a fan of. Okay. We talked about all, the, all, you know, just my mom was huge into football, so we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about uh, different events that were happening, but any time, any time. Philosophy, politics, or religion was brought up. 
um, it was always a really bad turnout hmm. uh, because uh, a lot of my views on obviously religion, but also on you know philosophical ideas as well as politics were turned around when I became a Christ follower. Hmm. And I'm not trying to say that people that don't that have differing political views from me uh, are not Christ followers. I'm just saying that. The more that I studied the word, I felt convicted of how some things were connected with politics, and that changed my view on it, honestly. Hmm. So, I don't know if that makes sense at all. No, it does. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know.